I know that I'm really aggressively projecting onto this. I'm like, no, she is an angel. I am declaring that she is an angel because I hate that people forget that angels are terrifying. They are soldiers. They are weapons of destruction. I'm not saying that just because I'm a Supernatural fan. I was raised Christian. And even when I was Christian, I hated how it's like, oh, angels are watching over you. And I was actually reading the Bible and like, um, angels kill people. <laughs> angels are scary. They say be not afraid for a reason. This is You Got to Know. So the thing with American Gothic is you do kind of have to start with what the plot is supposed to be, uh, because otherwise you'll never figure out what's happening in the show. <laughs> oh my god. This, this show is cursed. This show is evil because of the issues it has given us. And it's just... It's not even, like, that bad. <laughs> Oh my god, it's actually really good. Like, you can see the studio interference that killed it, but this show is so fucking good. God damn it, Sam Raimi. That's the thing that I hate about it, is, like, it could have used a couple of uh, script doctors, definitely, and the studio not actively trying to destroy it for whatever reason. But, like, even with all of those problems, it still actually comes across as a fairly engaging show. From the beginning, we should probably let everyone know about what this cursed monstrosity is. Because <laughs> this is our second time trying to record. God. So American Gothic is essentially a show about a boy named Caleb Temple, who first episode, like, dad kills himself, uh, question mark. <laughs> I want to stress, like, question mark. Even if we do know that he technically killed himself. So he's an orphan, uh, and the sheriff, who is his biological father, is trying to get custody of him to shape Caleb into his heir. And the, the sheriff is the bad guy. The sheriff is also the most interesting character. But the problem with the plot is that it's stretched way too thin, and they, they have way more interesting ideas in, ep in like, episodic plots. Mm-hmm. And they don't always handle the Caleb thing very well. Like, I swear they just forget about it sometimes. So I'm going to talk more about uh, the lore later because I have... First of all, I have theories about where I think the lore could have gone, should have gone, maybe even was intended to go. But the two biggest handicaps of this show is that they never give you the rules of the world. It They can do it really well with Lucas Buck, the sheriff, and talking about how, like... His powers are displayed in a really subtle way, and that's very effective, but they never give you any kind of rules about what he can do, what what the magical content of the world is. They never do that. And this, as you mentioned, the studio just messed up the like they aired the episodes completely out of order. And I think two to four of the episodes were not aired until three years later. Yeah, because this show ran from, I believe, 95 to 96. 97, I think there was just a pause. And then they released the last two episodes in release order, not chronological order, in 1998. It really sucks because one of the episodes, I don't know if it was one that was released later or that just wasn't released. And I think, I think you can get this show on dvd and that 
Yeah, you can, because I remember I was looking for it, and I was like, I could buy this from Walmart for $14, this cursed-ass <gasps> show. Um, but one of those episodes that wasn't initially released is actually one of my favorite and, like, is really important for the development of some of the characters. Which one was that? Potato Boy? Wait, the singing one? Yeah, the one where, oh. where Celine... <laughs> Is her name Selena or Celine? We've had too many people with that name. I think it was Selena because I kept thinking back to uh, Birds of Prey. Yeah, her name was Selena. About her. That was the episode <laughs> with all of Selena's backstory. Oh my god. Yeah. Just, and I think because there's so little plot, we have to talk. Like, the characters are so important because this show at times wants to be an ensemble show and it's not. It, it tries so hard and they have genuinely interesting characters, but they don't have a, either the time or the ability to juggle all of them. That's the thing is some of the characters, they either stretch way too thin or they misuse. Mm -hmm. Because like, there's the character of Dr. Matt, who in the first episode is established as like, oh, he's going to be a foil to Lucas Buck. He's going to be a good father figure. And then he spends the rest of his episodes just being an asshole and struggling with his own personal demons. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then Mer 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 Merlin? Merlin? Merlin. Merlin? Yeah. Then Merlin kind of becomes the foil to Lucas, which... She just should have from the beginning. Literally, the fact that in the first episode, he kills Merlin, who is Caleb's half-sister. And from then on out, they could have easily put her ghosty ghost as his foil from the beginning. But they waited until like three quarters through when she had this avenging angel arc to finally be like, oh, okay, you can kind of. You can kind of face the bad guy That's now. That's the thing is, like, visually, Merlin is definitely intended to be his foil because she's always shown wearing white and he always wears dark colors and those stupid vests that, like, I know, <laughs> I know that vests were a thing in the 90s. I know that he looked perfectly professional for a respectable man in the 90s, but oh my god, the vests make him look so stupid. <laughs> Especially with corduroy button-ups. Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah. And, like, they know how to style him. They have that black trench coat that he just oh. looks really menacing in. But then, as soon as he's not a silhouette anymore, you see the fucking vest and it's ruined. <laughs> they, they really did nail the good old country sheriff look. Which, that's something I actually still have been wondering since we first recorded. Is I don't know how subversive his character was for 1995. Because I keep thinking back on the fact that... They nailed him as this good old country sheriff with a dark what, past or dark intentions really well. The thing about Lucas Buck is he's such a compelling character because he is the best written character, the most consistently written character, and the best acted character. Like, most of the actors aren't bad, and I will, I will give the show that Caleb is both a fairly okay kid character like I believe I believe that he is a child kind of a thing he's not written mm -hmm. as too childish or too adult he's like right where his age group is supposed to be yeah and Caleb has acted really really well like it's hard to find a child actor that is not obnoxious <laughs> 
like he's done really well and he is play like that that child actor is southern so like that was his actual accent and i think that really helped but even then lucas is just the best character i mean he is the devil like he is a classic mephistopheles kind of devil like he makes deals with people and those deals can be very beneficial if the person follows their term follows the terms Mm -hmm. if they don't he will screw you over and he will smile while doing it and it's incredible. Oh, probably the best example of that is I think it was like episode four or five and the whole episode centered around him going to collect to the man that runs the junkyard. Oh God, that episode is horrifying. He comes back, bouncing babe girl's about 16 years old and he asks him like, hey, my favor is to do you a favor again. Sign these papers and your daughter can get work experience at the sheriff's office. But her dad is really sketch about it, as he should be. And he doesn't sign it by their agreed upon time. So then he says, you know what? That's fine. You can do me another favor. I want you to take in this guy who's on parole. And this guy who's on parole shot a man uh, that he thought was messing around with his own daughter back in the day. And that leads to an extremely uncomfortable episode of this middle-aged man continuously coming on to a teenage girl, but never doing anything so explicit that her father could actually pin anything on him or call him out on anything. And when he does finally snap and go to shoot the guy, he accidentally shoots his own wife who was checking on their daughter at in the middle of the night. It's so chilling the way the episode ends because the guy who he thought he was shooting walks off into the night and vanishes as he walks away. Like, he is a construct of Lucas Buck. And also, uh, the thing that Lucas got the junkyard guy out of was, I don't know if it was said explicitly, but it seemed to be very heavily insinuated that the junkyard guy had been accused of statutory rape. I completely missed that part. Because <laughs> Lucas talked about, like, making accusations go away. Um, so that's the thing, is I'm pretty sure that given the crimes of the guy who got out of jail and the fact that this dude was so sketched out about Lucas having his daughter uh, work for him, because Lucas is a lot of things. Like, he is very clearly an evil, powerful supernaturally enhanced man but he is not untoward to to children like he's Mm -hmm. thoroughly appropriate with kids so what i was assuming in that episode is that the junkyard owner was so sketched out uh because he is one of those predators and because he is one he sees them everywhere oh god so i I mean that was my thing but that that episode is so good every episode that has a subplot that's just Lucas doing his own thing is incredible. Like, he- and he also- I mentioned that he does have some kind of supernatural powers. That is unfortunately never discussed more, and again, I'll get to that when I talk about lore, but they set up really skillfully that you don't know what his powers are, you don't know the extent of them. Like, in the first episode- the the second episode- in the second episode, or third- ugh, they blur together- Lucas was bright was essentially blackmailing this judge to give him custody of Caleb. The judge does not give him custody of Caleb and at the end of the episode drops dead and I assumed that 
that Lucas just, like, cursed him into death. But then you find out in the second to last episode, Lucas actually blackmail, like, that wasn't blackmail, that was more of a bribe. He bribed a pharmacist to give the judge placebo pills instead of his actual heart medication to kill him. Which is such a fantastic callback because all of a sudden it's like, oh, so that wasn't supernatural. But then at that point in the series, you know that Lucas has something going on with him. That he is definitely very powerful in a supernatural way. But what you initially what you initially assumed was him being a devil, a demon of some kind, was just him manipulating people. And I love that so much because his ability to manipulate is so effective. Yeah, they they so clearly set up this dynamic of he has these abilities, but he is also just so ingrained in this community that he doesn't need them. He can do this all himself, whether or not he is the actual devil. Because there's like a beautiful scene that I, it's my favorite from an episode where he just appears behind one of the hospital workers in a church. The man's wife went up to the front for communion, I think. Mm -hmm. And they pan back to her husband. And Lucas has just appeared behind him and starts making that classic Faustian speech. It is creepy. It is tense. But then like the next episode, you'll get him intentionally sabotaging a car and you see him sabotaging the car, but the results look like they could have been supernatural because nobody knew that he had tampered with the car. Like they they set up the fact that whether or not he has the powers, he has the know-how to back it up. I love a good villain, and I know that that is definitely going to come across the more things we watch. Like I will do, I will do anything for a good villain. I'm that kind of media consumer. Mood. And that's one thing that I love about Lucas is that he he is just so effectively written as an all-powerful villain. And I think that's something that's botched a lot, where people try to make a villain that seems, you know, all-powerful or is mysterious, you don't really know what their limits are, and it just ends up coming off kind of corny and you can't take it all that seriously because they're just so OP and then all of a sudden the hero figures out like one weakness that brings it all crashing down. I don't find that very compelling or engaging. Lucas Buck is done the right way because it just like drip feeds you what he can do. It is bolstered by the fact that we don't know what the rules of the world are to the detriment of the show, but it does end up working really well for Lucas. Also the fact that Lucas technically won. Yeah, he did. Because his whole goal throughout this is make Caleb my heir. We find out why, which honestly, like, I don't even want to say because that it came out of left field, but it was also a very interesting discovery, especially because uh, the other POV character, Merlin, Caleb's sister, he's trying to get rid of her because she is this great influence of good. And <laughs> he ends up taking care of her and they end up kind of working together but the results fall in his favor which I would not have seen coming at the beginning of this show with the way that it's set up and with my previous knowledge of Sam Raimi stuff I didn't expect him to go that hard on letting the villain win. It's not even like Lucas had a perfect win like 
it you're absolutely right that it did work out in his favor but i wouldn't necessarily call him the victor because the end just brings up some really wild implications but before we get there there are two characters that we do have to talk about before we get into the lore so there's there was dr matt who was in it for a while and then i there had to be some kind of like contractual issue where he disappeared at one point he was institutionalized and was like i will come back i will defeat you lucas buck he refuses when Deputy Ben tries to get him to run away, he's like, no, I can't run away from this. I, I'm gonna help Caleb. And then he's just not in the rest of the season. <laughs> like, he's so useless, and he's replaced by this other doctor who exists only for the character of Selena and is completely not compelling in any way. He's supposed to be, like, a straight man, but the fact that he has no connection to Caleb, whose story it is, just makes him seem superfluous. Like, it, there's that. Uh, there's Gail, who's Caleb's cousin, who spends most of the season just doing her own thing when she's supposed to be, like, trying to establish some kind of precedent for her to take custody of her cousin. She's psychic, somehow. She she spends most of the season just being, d- doing her own thing and thinking that she can get a step ahead of Lucas and it just doesn't work. And then they sleep together and that just gets weird. Oh, and, and then she got pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> She has the Antichrist baby in her. It's just so strange. And then there's Ben. Which one was Ben? He was the he was the sad sack deputy that spent most of his central oh, yeah. episodes just being sad and useless. <laughs> I feel so bad that I forgot about him so hard, but like they kind of flushed all potential for his character arc. That's the thing is they did so badly with his character arc because he has too many episodes where he is a central character, and in, like, 90% of them, he really does nothing. In the episode with his brother and the whole bomb threat thing, that, first of all, that episode should have just been cut. It's useless. Um, I hated that episode. That I can't say I have a favorite episode, but I can say I have a least favorite episode, and it is that episode. It is that episode. Ben doesn't do anything. Like, even when it's trying to set him up, it's like, oh, he's he's gonna save them, he's coming up with a plan. He's not coming up with a plan. The nurse is coming up with the plan and telling him what to do and doing all of the emotional labor for him. Ugh. <sighs> It, it sucks because there's part of me that's like, oh, wow, I love I love just how silly and incompetent the sheriff's force is here outside of Lucas. I can get why they did that. But then they keep trying to be like, no, he is competent. He is great at what he's doing. But he's not. No, he's he's really not. He's in way over his head. There are like two episodes right near the end where he actually does start to get some spine And, like, that's interesting, and I think that ended up leading to a really interesting dynamic between him and Lucas in the last couple of episodes, because I appreciate when a character is like, wow, you're evil, but you are the evil that I know. Mm -hmm. And, like, accepting that instead of just being a coward about it, which is fine. It would have been way more impactful if he'd actually learned something in his earlier episodes instead of, like, right near the end. And then there's Strangler, where, like... It's trying so hard to set Ben up as a good, he's a good deputy, he knows what he's doing, he's following police procedure, he's hunting a fucking serial killer ghost. 
He's not gonna win. <laughs> oh my god, that episode! I I loved that episode up until a point where I just kept flashing back to American Horror Story uh, Hotel. I know that this show came way before it, but I just kept thinking back to like, wow, they did so much better in that one. They did. Because literally everything about this, down to the fact that Sarah Paulson is one of the ghosts. <laughs> like, I enjoyed it, but I spent the entire episode going, Ben, honey, you are trying so hard, but you are looking for a living being, and that is not the case here. I do have to kind of applaud them to be like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to use a real serial killer. We're going to use the Boston Strangler. Yeah. <laughs> we're just going to do it for the fun. Yeah, it, it's so, it's such a wild episode. I don't, oh my god. <laughs> and the fact that Lucas hired the Boston Strangler's ghost to kill Merlin, an angel. She Because she was an angel by that point. It's, it, oh my god, it's so, Strangler and Ben's brother's episode are two that, like, I really wish the studio had, well, okay, Strangler technically was cut. <laughs> but, like, Strangler really needed a rewrite, and the episode with the brother needed to be cut. They took out all of the good episodes, again, before lore, because I, I don't want to leave anything for after lore, because I'm just going to end up rambling so much about the world building. We, we have to talk about the aesthetic of it, and is it gothic? Okay, when... When we said we were going to do American Gothic, here's the thing. I went in with a very specific idea of what it was going to look like, and it only delivered maybe a quarter of the time. Maybe a quarter of the time, it reminded me of like all the regional Gothic aesthetic that you got me into like back in college. Like I, I, I was so disappointed. <laughs> one thing that I have to say, because it consistently bothered me, is they had one like, really good camera guy and one really bad camera guy. Or just something was up there, because there would be episodes with way too many Dutch angles. It was like watching Battlefield Earth. And there were other episodes where the camera was used in a very interesting way that I liked a lot. And I could not predict from episode to episode what that was going to look like. The accents were good. I really liked that they were actually pretty consistent with accents, even for actors who weren't from that area originally. Because mm -hmm. it is set in South Carolina. Um, oh, wait, wait. South Carolina? Either South Carolina. One of the Carolinas. I didn't know. That makes uh, one of my favorite cameos even funnier. Because I mentioned this in the One Tree Hill episode. But Mouth from One Tree Hill is Ben's son. And One Tree Hill takes place in the Carolinas, too. <laughs> oh, my God. Because what's so strange to me about how American Gothic does Gothic is that at first it really seemed like they were going for new American Gothic as opposed to Southern Gothic. Like there are, there's a lot of overlap between new American and Southern, but new American tends to be more, doesn't have the same stress on like religious imagery and religious madness kind of a thing where Southern Gothic is a lot more based in like, Wrath of God, slow decay, slow descent into madness. And what was so weird is that it started out very, like, 90s take on new American Gothic, and it wasn't working. 
but about a third of the way through it, there was a little bit of a change. And then for the last third of the series, it actually did start to lean into the Southern Gothic in some interesting ways, a lot of which revolves around like the use of religion, which they got a lot better with. I hated it at the beginning, but they kind of slowly figured out what they were doing. And the idea of just like a kind of slow slide into madness and debauchery and that kind of thing. And they they tried. They really tried to pick up the Southern Gothic thing. The way the show starts just kneecaps it. It could have just been so good. But I, I think the problem is the fact that in the beginning, it feels like they didn't try. It was like, they were like, you know what? We want it to be this effortless Americana Gothic. And we'll slowly start piecemealing bits into it when it's like, they they should have just started upon that hyper stylized ideal instead of kind of relying on a natural progression. It, it should have started at one end of this hyper stylized spectrum and ended in the other. And one thing that I don't know if it was a big deal then, but it was something that was haunting me as I was watching it, is I think what really handicaps the series when it's trying to go after both a southern gothic look and feel and like adherence to those themes is that it is so 90s it's 90s in a small town yet suburbia kind of way and honestly the first couple episodes i just kept thinking about like touched by an angel and the other weird (laughs) 90s shows that my aunt made me watch oh god i haven't watched touched by an angel since i was like five so that's the thing is they they start out with too much of a 90s TV sentiment. And I understand that they were setting it in that modern day, so it's going to look like that. But I think that's one of the enduring problems is that they set it so firmly in the 90s, it couldn't really embrace um, the Southern Gothic because the Southern Gothic is opposed to modernism. That came out sounding really pretentious, but I I know that you get what I mean. That, like, (laughs) if you really want to embody even new American Gothic, you really need to instill a kind of timelessness in whatever the media is. Like, for instance, I am going to pull this. Supernatural season one. You'll always know that it came out in the early 2000s because of the way the female characters are dressed. But they make an effort to have a very timeless Americana feel to it. Mm-hmm. And the, the town in, in, Amer- in uh, American Gothic and the way the characters are dressed and the way they act, it's just too 90s to have that kind of timelessness. I honestly find it really interesting considering the rest of Sam Raimi's work where I honestly feel like the aesthetic is so tight, sort of like Xena, which we're going to be watching eventually. uh, That one is able to just latch on to this pseudo Grecian aesthetic, this very like projected aesthetic to more get the idea across. Well, it still kind of looks like a high school production. So it makes me wonder what it was that kept them from going into that hyper-stylization for that new gothic look. Considering, like, that's 
when I think of a Sam Raimi production, I'm thinking of the aesthetic. I'm thinking of this cheesy but iconic look that literally built the base for my own personal aesthetic growing up because I grew up on Zima. It also makes me really excited for when we watch Xena uh, and you get to see when the Christianity comes in. That's the thing about American Gothic is it's messy. And that's really, that's a goddamn shame. One theory that I'm going to hazard in regards to um, why Southern Gothic is kind of messy is I really think that either the studio or some of the members of the production team we're trying really hard to tone down aspects of the show, especially in the beginning. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was to make the studio more comfortable with the project or to try to like lure people into watching it, but they defanged so many of the early episodes that it makes the later episodes weaker because it doesn't establish anything very strongly. Like the fourth episode is an outlier that has the whole thing with the junkyard guy and his daughter. That was good. And I feel like there are enough nuggets in this that the show did have more of that kind of a bent, but somewhere in production, they tried to tone it down for primetime TV. Which is just so unfortunate. But it, if if you also consider the cultural landscape of like, 1995, I can get why this would be harder for a general audience to swallow. That's the thing is, I firmly believe that American Gothic should be remade because I think it could be remade very well today uh, because we are more jaded and angrier. (laughs) (laughs) See, I find that so funny because I thought that it had been remade because back in 2015, there was a show made called American Gothic, but it was following, it was more like a crime thriller. It was about a family, and after Grandpa died, they discovered that he was a serial killer, and one of the family members might have been his accomplice. And I have a very firm memory of when that came out, and I had a teacher talking about how it was a remake of the 90s show. And that was the first thing that popped up in my head when you said, let's do American Gothic. And then I looked at it and it wasn't. And I'm so mad now. (laughs) That would have been so cool. One thing, and this goes with like the thought that the show was kind of defanged to make it more appealing. And with Sam Raimi, there are elements of horror in this every now and then, like, the intro to the um, plague episode where they were wa- where um, Ben and Dr. Matt were going through the house uh, that had the plague dead in it. Like that was really good. There are moments where like, I it's just on the verge of scary, but either they don't hold the tension long enough or what happened most of the time. And what one of my greatest pet peeves with this show is, is they went with CGI and it looks bad. <laughs> But I'm also a big proponent of um, practical effects. Like, always do practical effects because something like a cool werewolf is always going to look like a cool werewolf. (laughs) Even if you know it's a guy in a suit, it's still going to look cooler and it's going to move in a more interesting way than a CGI werewolf. Figuring out how to do blood writing on the walls practically, that's going to look really cool. Even watching it a lot later and I love to watch things and try to figure out you know how they did practical effects or how they did makeup and stuff 
And there's going to be people who look at a practical effect in an old show and they're like, oh, that's how you do it. That's super easy. Um, But it's still going to look interesting and it's not going to break the immersion as much as the terrible CGI in this fucking show. Mm -hmm. Kind of of an example that popped into my brain is sort of like, there's a scene from the 1990 miniseries that as someone who is... Uh, so fucking in love with that series i adore every single practical effect but i will cop to the fact that the balloon the blood balloon popping scene is cheesy as fuck but that with the extras flinching is still so much more interesting to me i'm not gonna get into this argument with you in the podcast because (laughs) i do i have a lot of opinions um we both like different adaptations of it like honestly i I don't think I could sit through the 90s it again. It was not my thing. But one thing that I remember from it that I did really like was when they were in the shower and Pennywise, like, pushes the drain wider. Yes! That was a practical effect. That's very clearly a stop-motion effect. But it looked really cool. Like, I love that effect. Oh, that was one of my favorite scenes growing up. (laughs) That still scares the hell out of me. And see, what I was thinking about when you mentioned it is not the bathroom scene, uh, which I'm not going to discuss it now because we've got a time limit. Um, Not the bathroom scene, but in the actual it um, 2019, not 2017, where he, you see Pennywise kill Adrian Mellon. That was like, it's fine. It's far enough away and it's dark enough on screen that it's not going to look that shitty as time goes forward. But it's still less compelling than if they had either done nothing or had it be some kind of a practical effect. Like, CGI just... It doesn't have the same weight as practical effects. And I hate so much in... um, American Gothic whenever they try to do CGI because they're doing it on a TV show budget, too. A 90s TV show budget, which everyone has to understand that, like, for a 90s TV show budget, getting it as big as nowadays is unheard of. Yeah. TV budget used to be dirt fucking cheap. Like, if somebody told me that all of Gail's costumes were out of that actress's closet, I would have totally believed it. Yeah, literally all of them, I could 110% believe that they just walked on set. They're like, okay, um, go to makeup and then I guess meet us on set. Yeah, I think Selena is the only person who I would believe was actually given a costume. (laughs) Maybe Lucas, but also I'm going to be honest, I could just see Gary Cole in 1994 having that in his closet. Maybe that's why he had all those vests. So now that we're at the end of all of my other notes, I'm going to talk about the world. And you're Uh, my captive audience. Well, both you and whoever's going to listen to this in the future. (laughs) I mentioned several times that they never explain enough about the universe to give it rules, which is immensely frustrating given how many little tidbits there are. Because Lucas, his subtlety is done really well. You don't know what he can and can't do. He's a well-acted villain, so that's okay. Selena and Merlin are damaged by not knowing what they can do. Because Selena, she's supposed to be like a secondary antagonist and kind of ends up as a secondary protagonist. Her arc is weird. 
But there are little episodes that establish her as potentially being more than human. Like, she has this allure over men. And it's never entirely elaborated on or discussed on, but in the episode with, um, it was either Potato Boy or the Beatles episode. They're both, like, I watched them back to back. It shows that she doesn't necessarily want all of this attention from men and really hints at the fact that it could be a supernatural allure like she's some kind of succubus. But she doesn't want to be. She's estranged from her reverend father who screams at her to get out of his church. Like, Lucas insinuates that she's trying to sleep with Caleb in that episode, and it gets even creepier later And it never seems like she has full control of herself in those situations. So my personal theory with Selena that's never elaborated on, but I think it's true, is I think that she made a deal with Lucas to be desired or to be loved. And it ended up backfiring on her pretty spectacularly. Which also kind of fits with their codependency because uh, he makes great emphasis about the fact that she is so dependent on him. And that, that, you know, they are forever connected. Like, he's constantly going back to her. And no matter how hard she pulls away, she keeps getting pulled right back into his orbit. And I found her so compelling, especially in the episode that discussed her father, because she clearly has a lot of personal demons. And I just, I, I love a sexual female character who drives a sporty little car and does whatever the fuck she wants. And, like... It it was still so impactful of, I I wouldn't consider it slut-shaming either. I don't think that it's slut-shaming when characters in the show talk about how she's a whore and how she sleeps around. Because it really is setting it up to be something that is very traumatic to her. Because she's trying to go visit her father in one of the episodes, and these women are talking about how, oh, she's such a hussy. And normally that wouldn't, she'd just walk right on by. But she turns around and she screams at them, say that to my face. And I wish there had been more moments like that. I would have loved that. Especially because, like, I mentioned a couple times that she gave, like, these kind of horror Babylon vibes. And it really does kind of seem like lucas for whatever reason gave her the specific set of abilities and consequences to those abilities that made her his own pawn and i do wonder uh and this is specifically in relation to what i think is going on with lucas and caleb if lucas does have some kind of a demon that inhabits him I believe that Selena is maybe inhabited by a lesser demon who is specifically meant to be the lackey for his demon. Mm -hmm. Because that's kind of the relationship that they have. And I think what really establishes that is the fact that in the two finale episodes, Lucas dies. Like, he dies, um, sort of comes back because he was that's the thing is he wasn't like dead dead he was declared dead when he really wasn't so he woke up in his fucking coffin which only lucas buck lucas buck is the only character that i will believe is totally calm upon waking up inside of a fucking coffin i legitimately do not think that is the first time that has happened to him i do not believe that with any anything it within me no and like okay Beef I have with the finale is the fact that just then, 
in those episodes, Selena's like, no, you have to kill him by going right in the forehead to the pineal gland, which there is all of this weird psychic theories about how your pineal gland, it, it calcifies as you get older and nobody really knows why. It's just kind of this useless little thing in your brain that doesn't do anything after puberty. But there is a theory that people with psychic abilities, like they're, they're that never calcified as they got older. And that that's why kids can have weird abilities or like see things that adults don't. I thought that was really weird to include right at the end and have only as like Lucas Buck's weakness. Okay, but especially with the weird third eye thing that Caleb went on when he was like cutting the pyramid out of all of the dollar bills and made his own like eye of provenance on a cork board with them. That's the thing is I think they ran out of ideas for how Caleb was going to figure this out. So they're like, okay, um, what's cool? Okay, X-Files. Let's throw in some conspiracy theories. Eye of Providence, Third Eye, Illuminati. So that's <laughs> that's a whole fucking thing. But uh, Lucas essentially, he does hint earlier on that Merlin cannot kill him. And I will get to Merlin in a minute. But he basically says, like, you can't kill me no matter how badly you want to. Because then Lucas inherits my mantle. Not Lucas, because then Caleb inherits my mantle. And that just becomes, oh my god, I really like how they followed through on that, where all of a sudden, Caleb has, like, a personality about face. And not in a bad writing way, mm -hmm. in a, like, he is not a child anymore, there is something in him, and they discuss briefly about how the spirit, whatever that is, moved from Lucas to Caleb when Lucas was declared dead. Caleb has inherited his powers and his evil, and they discuss a hunger of some kind. Honestly, I love how it was just taking him declared dead, not actually dead, as we later find out. Just declared dead for that to happen. I do have a theory, though, about that, yeah. too. It wasn't that he was declared dead. It was that people believed he was dead. Oh, yes. And that some of his power does come from belief. I I am so obsessed with like cultural idea, idea, thought form, whatever you want to call it. Just like the power of belief. And that is such a beautiful theory. So that's the thing is there is something dark in Lucas that he clearly exercises a lot of control over and that he is very skilled in his control over it and using it to his advantage. But like there is the spirit as it is described in Lucas that then moves on to Caleb and only when Lucas reestablishes that he is alive and he is in charge does it leave Caleb. Well, and Merlin's thing that we will get to. <laughs> but that's the thing is, I think that whatever powers Selena has comes from Lucas, either through some kind of a deal or and or a deal that put a similar sort of spirit in her. Mm hmm. I like that. And that's that's the thing with Lucas is that I I believe that the spirit is some kind of a demon. I don't know if they would ever make it formally a demon, but that's what I think of when you think, you know, a darkness and a hunger that theoretically stays with the family. Interesting. Especially because it is confirmed loosely that Lucas 
might not age. Yeah. Or at least doesn't age normally. Because there's an episode with a woman who at first is claiming to be his mother until he confronts her in the hospital after she attempts to shoot him. And she admits, you know, a mother is a better alias for an elderly woman, elderly, than a lover. Yeah, it's really, really weird. Like, he's he definitely has something going on with aging. He also has some kind of weird allure to women. Like, not that women throw themselves at him, but that the women that he develops sexual and romantic relationships with become absolutely devoted to him. I do think that his powers and Selena's powers, question mark, come from a very similar place, even if hers are far weaker, because they do have weird sway over the opposite sex. See, now part of me just wants to do, like, a big deep dive into, like, Christian mythology to see, like, what what could this possibly be? Was this just, like, a brainchild of, ooh, this sounds cool, what if? Or was this, like, some lore that, that got dived into? So, finally, we gotta talk about Merlin. Oh, Merlin. I have to say... It was funny having the slow dawning realization of, oh my god, that's Sarah Paulson. Oh yeah. So Merlin starts out, the brief time that she is alive in the show, it's established that she is um, 16, that's relevant later, and deeply, deeply traumatized by seeing Lucas Buck sexually assault her mother. So... There's that. She dies, she's killed by Lucas in the episode. He insists constantly that it's a mercy killing which honestly i do believe that he committed it as a mercy killing because i don't think he would have killed merlin if he knew what she would turn into i loved the fact that she had that whole revival as a ghost like it was for quite a while there very touched by an angel and very weird but it it's really interesting because before she has that sort of a makeover she sends genuinely terrifying visions to Caleb to try and protect him. And within the first episode, at least, her as a spirit is genuinely terrifying because she torments the man performing her autopsy. She sends Caleb visions of blood that are spelling out there's someone at the door, which is the only thing she would say when she was alive after she was traumatized watching her mother's assault. And it's a through line throughout because the someone at the door is Lucas. God. So the thing with Merlin is, first of all, I had to structure my watching of the series and you're going to be putting the order that I came up with in the description, right? Of course. I my The order follows a lot of IMDb, but I had to use Merlin's arc to do some of it because at first she's just a ghost. Like she does have weird powers as you were describing for most of the beginning episodes. So my theory is that she did not go to hell for almost killing the fetus. She went to heaven and they made her an angel, but they made her a scary angel as angels should be. They're terrifying. I love the fact that is the one point where I love the touched by an angel aesthetic because like I watched so much of that with my great grandma as a kid. And I love seeing like this beautiful angelic young Sarah Paulson 
who's just walking around with that like glorious 90s hair and these beautiful white gowns and she sticks her hands in the river and it turns red with blood that's the thing that i i think that they do better about leaning into the southern gothic thing after merlin becomes an avenging angel because it's terrifying like immediately after she comes back she tries to kill lucas buck the only piece of CGI in the show that I don't hate is her face on a Virgin Mary statue talking to Lucas Buck. Oh, that was beautiful. Like, it was, oh. That was genuinely really unnerving. And that was the episode where Lucas established, uh, you can't kill me without severely impacting Caleb. Um, I loved all the church work in that episode because they, they made the most gorgeous fight scenes. God, I remember I was watching it and Lucas was like standing at the entrance to the church and I was like, oh, he can't walk on holy ground. And then he walked in and I was just thinking to myself, can he do that? <laughs> Is that allowed? <laughs> Is that allowed? <laughs> but yeah, then after that, uh, she spreads a bleeding plague to the town to kill everyone who works with Lucas. Oh, God. Yeah, because to her, like, they're all guilty of sin. She does it to her own cousin, to her and Caleb's cousin. Dr. Matt, who was the only person that was trying to help, made one little lie to c prevent the spread of mass panic. And she drove him insane. God, it was just so cool. Especially then when it's Caleb who has to convince her this is wrong. Because up until that point... The dynamic had been Lucas is trying to pull Caleb into the dark and Merlin is trying to pull Caleb into the light. And she makes constant comment when he is slipping to the dark, like, you're making a mistake. This is bad. You're you're going to leave me. You know, I can't touch you. I can't be there with you if you keep going this way. But then she immediately kind of turns that around and ends up in the exact same place, just on a different side of the fence. And that's, I do believe that she was made into an angel, not just because of her stronger powers, but the fact that she comes back with a very black and white morality of like, they helped Lucas, they need to be punished. And it's Caleb who comes forth and is like, hey, Lucas does, like, he holds up bargains. That's why people keep making deals with him is because if they hold up their end, he will come through. And sometimes people are desperate. I know that I'm really aggressively projecting onto this. I'm like, no, she is an angel. I am declaring that she is an angel because I hate that people forget that angels are terrifying. They mm -hmm. are soldiers. They are weapons of destruction. I'm not saying that just because I'm a supernatural fan. I was raised Christian. And even when I was Christian, I hated how it's like, oh, angels are watching over you. And I was actually reading the Bible and like, um, angels kill people. <laughs> angels are scary. They say be not afraid for a reason. Even before I knew that this that it was the way I was viewing angels, I viewed angels from more of a culturally Jewish perspective. Mm -hmm. with the like oh these are scary and i'm supposed to there's a reason that gabriel has to say be not afraid like yeah i love me an avenging angel and that is what merlin becomes and that was also just so um 
oh, train of thought, come back. There it is. Um, what I found compelling about the finales is that Merlin knows she needs Lucas to be able to bring Caleb back, not even just to the good side, but to bring him back to being a kid and not this weird, sadistic fucker that he became. So she helps Lucas and they work together and it's actually really cool to see them working together. I really love that they made her confront that considering before it it was Caleb that had to convince her like he's gonna hold up his bargain so of course people are gonna go for him. It, it's such a beautiful but subtle way of flipping her character and flipping all of their characters to the point where like even Lucas puts aside his own machinations for power to try and get back his only chance of power. Yeah, I mean, it, it was so that he could get his power back. But I do believe that there was a little bit of him that was like, this isn't okay. Like, I don't know if it's just the fact that I love villains that I'm trying to make excuses for him. But I do think that he looked at Lucas, who's like 10. Caleb. Caleb. Oh my god. They're like the same character. It's fine. He looked at his child and was like, this kid should not be saddled with this hunger so young. This isn't right. It honestly kind of lends more to the idea, or at least the mystery, that he could be human still. Like, that he could just be a human bestowed with these demonic abilities. Okay, there's a little moment in the finale that I really want to mention just because I loved it so much. So, Caleb is in Lucas's house. He has declared it his house. What you think is that, well, okay, Lucas got unburied. You know that he's been unburied and that he's, like, trying to get some of his powers back. And he's walking around the house trying to get Caleb to confront him so that they can have their battle. And he picks up Merlin's doll and he throws it and it shatters. And the thing about Merlin's doll is that it, like, in the only times that she was human, she was always holding it. It was a comfort item. It was a connection to her past. Uh, Caleb always kept the doll. And so it, it was kind of interesting for me to see Lucas do that because that seemed a little too petty for him. And then you see that it was Merlin pretending to be Lucas to distract Caleb and that she destroyed her last connection to her old life without prompting. It's such a beautiful moment. <laughs> Sam Raimi, turn on your location. I just want to talk. Oh my oh god. Oh my god. Oh, I do have two things to just touch on. Okay. So, first of all, uh, Loris Holt, so wasted. Woman of color character, runs a boarding house. She is the one who is actually Lucas's legal guardian, and she's in, like, five Caleb. episodes. Out of Caleb's. 24. She's Caleb's guardian, not Lucas. God damn it. <laughs> This episode is cursed. Lucas Buck is coming for me personally. Oh my god. And See, you know what? You know what? I'm gonna let him. <laughs> <laughs> the, trying to record this show has been so cursed. Literally, the first time we watched this, we got maybe 30 minutes in and we had to restart several times. Because we could not keep a solid connection between the two of us because we record remotely. And and we lost audio, too. Oh my god, yeah, we lost so much of that. And I think that's I, the only time we've ever lost audio. 
Yeah, in every episode we have recorded up until this point, we've had a few missteps here and there, but we've never lost anything. We lost most of that episode. <laughs> He's fucking coming for me, man. But <laughs> Caleb's actual legal guardian is a woman is a black woman named Loris Holt who is insinuated to have knowledge of hoodoo or at the very least of some kind of witchcraft spirituality. She's in so few episodes. Mostly she just pops in sometimes to say things. One of her only episodes made me so uncomfortable because Lucas literally silences her. He chokes her. Yeah. I mean, supernaturally. Yeah, because he he made her... It is very clearly set up that he used his abilities to make her choke on her breakfast. Yeah, it's it's... Absolutely, it's a chilling moment. And that's the thing is I warned you about it. I was like, there's a moment, I don't know if it's making me uncomfortable because it's supposed to, or if it's making me uncomfortable because it's a white law enforcement officer literally silencing a woman of color in her own home. But I am so sad that she was not set up from the beginning as the foil to Lucas, because that would have been such a good story if it was like her and Merlin as the human and the supernatural guardians of Caleb versus Lucas and his own powers. That's the thing is like, cut the doctor characters, do something different with Gail. Like, I don't even know where to start on fixing her because she's not that badly broken. She's just boring. Mm -hmm. But that's the thing is, is Loris Holt is a totally wasted character and it's a travesty because she is the only character of color I mean, there are other characters of color in the show. There is a black. There are two black doctors, one of whom is the one that murders Lucas. Yeah, <laughs> which like go him, but still, she is she's the only character of color that is set up as a main character, and then she immediately disappears. Yeah, it's that's really unfortunate, and I swear to God, I had like one other thing. This Especially is... because, like, her intro episode is one of my favorites. Because Caleb, he very much gives me the vibe of, like, the undiagnosed ADHD kid who just needs someone who's going to put him to work in a way that he can function with. And she does that because he runs away from school, meets her at her boarding house, and she's like, all right, if you're going to hang out here and hide from your bullies, then you've got to help me out. And he does. And she ends up sending him with soup to the judge who ends up giving her custody. That could have been such a great setup, but they just don't use her because they have too many other characters that they have to do things with. And this, I don't know if this is even going to make it into the episode, but it bothered me enough that I want to mention it. Through several episodes, uh, Merlin is tormenting Deputy Ben because he saw her die and has done nothing about that because he's a coward and a sad sack. But in one episode, in the one episode where he actually, like, gets to do things right, at the end of the episode, th she approaches him in a bar in some kind of a corporeal form that looks like herself, and they dance to a really romantic song. It was so fucking creepy. And, like, okay, that's, that's weird. Sarah Paulson was in her early 20s when they filmed this, and it is odd that the ghost who's been just aggressively tormenting Ben for a couple of episodes. Uh, but you gotta remember, Merlin is 16. And in the episode where she does give herself a physical body, 
she's attracted to a very age appropriate boy. And like, she just wants to be a teenager, you know, not quite a ghost anymore, but she's still a 16 year old in the story. And she's dancing to a very romantic song in a bar with a grown man. Something is rotten in the state of Denmark. And it was just really odd to me. Yeah, it's just, (sighs) there's so many things with this show where I'm like, great, they did this intentionally uncomfortable. They made this intentionally creepy and then they'll have scenes like that. It's it's such a mix of like, I was really afraid I was going to end up damning this show with faint praise because it does have some things that it does really well. Like it's not as terribly terrible and campy as Birds of Prey. It's not as shockingly and surprisingly good as Dark Angel. It really sits in the realm of being, this is better than okay, but it's not... <laughs> good it it needed a second draft it did it needed a couple of good script doctors and it needed the episodes to be aired in the proper order oh yeah because i'm i'm gonna list them in the description because reading them out would just be so annoying no it's it's really all over the place and i started from um I started by going off of the IMDb list, but even that isn't entirely correct. And I went in um, and I, yeah. Honestly, if it was anything less than, um, wait a minute, wait a minute. Interesting. So it's 22 episodes and I can't help but wonder if there are still two episodes that never got released because normally a season is 24, right? Oh my god. Like, 22 22 isn't so little that I was suspicious immediately, but that is weird. And only 18 aired in the original run. Sam Raimi, turn your location on. I just want to talk. Two were aired two years later, and then I think the other two that that you can find online were on the DVD that was released. But, like, it could totally just be that it was 22 episodes. That's not that short of a season. But, uh, 24 is the average, isn't it? Yeah. Even back in 95. Huh. That's very interesting. Sam Raimi, turn your location on. I just want to talk. Turn your location on. I just want to talk. I swear. I just want to talk. I just want to talk. Please. Please. I just want to talk. I can't believe you hated the show so much you're leaving. Yeah, it was Smallville specifically and not having a full-time job. (laughs) It was definitely just Smallville. It was one teen drama too many and I just splintered the friendship and we're never talking again after this. I mean, you say that as a joke, but you haven't heard my notes yet. (laughs) This is Smallville. Thank you so much for joining us on You Got to Know. We've been your hosts. If there's a show you want to see us discuss, let us know at Tied with a Bow on Twitter or at Hellish Rebuke Creative on Instagram. This show is made possible by your support, and that includes sharing us with your friends and family. Subject other people to this. 
Please consider supporting the show on Patreon. The link will be in the show notes below. Music for the show by Kevin McLeod.